You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat, a weekly series of podcasts about happiness and work culture. Hi, it's Bruce Daisley. This is Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat. If you missed last week's episode, it was a special, a live special on laughter. That was quite good fun and did a fabulous audience. And actually, I wrote something for the BBC about laughter, which uh, I've tweeted out from our Twitter account. On these podcasts, I've, I've spent a lot of time talking to academics and experts and sort of people who've got all the receipts, but probably less time speaking to those who've got strong opinions and strong visions. And today, these two episodes from quote marks thought leaders giving their views i had a week off last week so i was able to get two shows done what are thought leaders well i'll ask them that question in the second episode we're going to hear from chris barris brown from a sort of culture agency a culture consultancy called upping your alvis and first we're going to hear from tom goodwin now tom is an executive vp at the media agency zenith he's the head of innovation down there but It's on the web that Tom's a real player. He's LinkedIn's number one influencer. That accolade will set you back about 560,000 followers. How did he end up there? Well, Tom wrote a tweet or a series of tweets that developed a life of their own. If he was Dua Lipa, this was his new rules. Big smash that made him a go-to person talking about business disruption and differentiation. Tom's responded to his internet renown with a new book, Digital Darwinism, Survival of the Fittest in the Age of Business Disruption. That's out now. Tom lives in New York, so I was very surprised when I turned up to meet him last week that he is actually British. He went to Sheffield University. How about that? Here's Tom. Tell me this. How do you, thought leader, right? (laughs) How do you, as someone who's a thought leader, stay ahead of these trends? How do you... What's the process you use to, uh, to try and yeah. stay ahead of I guess what's changing? I mean, very quickly, I've, I find the expression thought leader very uncomfortable, and I don't like this world where somehow these people are anointed with power to lead thought and other people follow, because I think that's nonsense. Um, I think I'm lucky to have a group of people that listen to me, and then I listen to them in return. Um, but to be more helpful to your question, um, I mean, firstly, I read a lot. So absolutely huge fan of Twitter, probably the best um, single item in my life in terms of software. Um, so I just digest vast amounts, vast amounts of information as quickly as I can. Um, secondly, and this sounds quite uh, cliched, but I travel quite a lot. Um, because I really believe that by um, 
you know, being in the favelas in Rio de Janeiro and seeing like kids with virtually nothing watching TV on smartphones, uh, being in a canteen for a consumer electronics company in China um, and seeing how people pay for food in the canteen, uh, being in Estonia and speaking to the government ministers about X-Road and how they're using blockchain. Um, there really is sort of no substitute, one, for sort of being in those places, but two, sort of connecting the dots between them, you know. So individually, those things don't mean much. But when you can sort of go to these places and then get on a plane and quite literally sort of rise above the planet, like it, it can sort of gives you a, a greater sense of oversight, I think. And so are they accidental opportunities to observe or are you sending yourself out into the canteen uh, in China? A mixture. I mean, right. I'm, I'm, I'm extremely lucky these days in that I get invited to do quite a lot right. of stuff. Uh, and I'm quite considerate about what I choose to do. Um, so whether it's speaking at events, whether it's being on more official company programs, whether it's meeting clients, whether it's um, just taking a holiday somewhere a bit more interesting than the south of Spain. Um, I, don't, I just think the world is a really interesting place um, and it's a particularly fascinating time to be alive. Um, so I just sort of apply that energy to sort of get myself in these situations. And what does a, a day in the life of a thought leader look like then? <laughs> thought leader. <laughs> if I was denying that I'm a thought leader alive. Uh, <laughs> I mean, in, in what can only be called the most predictable and annoying answer ever, like there really is no sort of standard day. Um, so <laughs> uh, it involves a lot of reading every day um, and it involves a lot of listening to people, quite a lot of asking questions on social media and then looking at replies, uh, quite a lot of meeting clients and talking to them about their business, uh, quite a lot of travel, um, I try to sort of meet different people as well. Like, I think it's quite in easy in our industry to spend our whole life talking to other marketers. Yeah. You know, it's good to talk to, like, a farmer and just be like, what's worrying you? Um, I think my favorite question in the world is, as I go around it is to sort of talk to people about challenges that com countries or companies have because you realize there are quite a lot of commonalities, mm. so whether it's the, the how parents are worried about how their kids are growing up with screen time, um, whether it's various different countries around the world being worried about um, sort of global movement of people and how to deal with that. I think artificial intelligence and what that will mean for employment and meaning in people's lives, that's becoming like another theme that, mm. that people talk about. I make a habit of not reading boring pieces, actually. Mm. Like, like there's a huge amount of complete crap out there. Like if I read one more piece that talks about CES trends as the Internet of Things or you know, smart dishwashers or uh, fridges that predict what yogurt you're going to eat. Like, there's just a lot of not particularly thoughtful, mm. quote-unquote, thought leadership. Um, so I'd much rather read the opinions of someone that's quite punchy and quite naive and sometimes wrong, just because it helps you think about things a different way. It's funny, isn't it? Because there's no rear view window. I remember going to see yes <laughs> and, uh, and going to see yes and going to one of the things that was like the hot trend of yeah. four or five years ago. And reflecting four or five years on, none of those things no. have happened. I mean, we've got um, people who are kind of professional trend forecasters actually have got a pretty tr poor track record. Um, like we like to sort of look at the graphs of anything that goes up and presume that they carry on that way. You know, so in theory, second life should be how we all spend our time these days. And we should all have loom bands and we should all have fidget spinners or something. Um, but actually, most new technology you can kind of look at and I mean, maybe this is a bit arrogant, but I feel like you can feel your way through it. 
Like you could look at 3D TV and just go, hmm, this isn't that good. You know, I don't think I can imagine going to my mate's house and watching football. It's on funny it. you say that though, isn't it? Because yeah. for four years, the whole of the movie industry <laughs> yeah. was obsessed that 3D is yeah. the solution, I right? think they're very, um, they believe in what's most helpful for them to believe. Right. You know, when Steve Barmer said that the iPhone was never going to take off, I don't think he was necessarily an idiot for saying that. I think he was just aware that that was the most helpful thing he could say at the time. He was a hype man for the Microsoft <laughs> product, and so dissing yeah. the com- competition. Yeah, it would have been quite he... hard for him to say, mm, you know, this is interesting, Looks guys. Pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was at Nokia at the time, and we knew that the iPhone was going to be a big deal. Right. Um, but yeah, you can look at curved TVs and just go, I think it's more important for people to have a TV that looks nice against the wall. Mm than it is for people to have a, a, a viewing experience which feels slightly more immersive. Mm. Um, so I'd like to think that common sense helps us. Mm. I mean, generally speaking, um, we prefer things that are easier rather than things that are better. You know, so most people today listen to music on really crappy I, I, iPhone docking stations, often in mono. Um, and the reason people do that is just because it's a far easier way to listen to music than it is to get some you know, complicated connected speaker solution set up. Um, I've got a really big TV that is probably one of my most um, sort of extravagant purchases. And I pretty much just watch stuff on my phone in front of it with it on in the background. <laughs> it's just because it's there. Like yeah. it's, just, it's just an easier way to do stuff. And I think in marketing, we tend to forget that actually hardware very rarely is what makes the difference. It's normally software. You know, like Ubers themselves are the same cars that were driven by taxi drivers. It's just now easier to hail one. Mm. Um, you know, mobile banking apps actually changed the way that I experience banks way more than the banking sort of infrastructure itself. Um, so, yeah, we, we tend to sort of overestimate the impact that hardware will have, which is why CES is always quite so strange. And we underestimate software. If there was like a CES for software, um, then that would be a much more mm. um, illustrative example of how the future will change who's the book for uh, the book's for anyone that's interested in change um i think it's quite hard when you write a book like this because you do feel like you need to have a specific person in mind but while i think it's quite useful for ceos to get a holistic viewpoint on the changing world i actually think if you're a student studying business if you're a cmo um if you're someone that's trying to set up your own company i think i think most people will get something quite interesting and profound and, and thoughtful from it Let's go back to the start. You yeah. did this famous, was it LinkedIn post? <laughs> which is sort of... Actually, there's a hidden story. So okay. I, I, um, at one point when I was, um, my career wasn't going that well and I was in my, uh, my, my sister's house, one day at her dining room table, I, I did the tweet. So the, the whole like Facebook, Uber, Airbnb thing was a tweet, I think in about 2014. Um, and no one noticed it, it didn't get picked up anywhere. And for some strange reason, about three months later, I was like, this is a good tweet. Like, it's been unloved. Like, this deserves to see the light of day again. Um, so I used it to write um, an article for TechCrunch. It became the opening line. And for about a month, nothing happened again. And then one day, it just sort of blew up. And uh, I don't know, you could probably do some studies into the nature of virality and, and why it happened and how it happened and what ingredients came together. Uh, but it became, I think, um, I mean, a worldwide phenomenon, I think, is probably an overclaim. But it came something that got used in a lot of presentations and I'd get quite a lot of uh, mentions. And then I also saw many other people claiming it to be theirs. Amazing. Uh, so <laughs> it just became a very funny calling card. Um, Talk us through the tweet. Go on, remind us what it says. I don't even says. know if I can remember what it says. Go on, I've got it in here, haven't I? I've got it in here. 
So it says... Like, um, it starts with Uber, doesn't it? Uber is it the world's says, largest... Uber, yeah. Uber, the largest taxi company, owns no vehicles. <laughs> Facebook, the world's most popular media owner, creates no content. Alibaba, the most valuable retailer, has no inventory. And Airbnb, the world's largest... This wasn't 140 characters. <laughs> Airbnb, the world's largest accommodation provider, owns no real estate. Something interesting is happening. Yeah, I think it was three tweets. Right. <laughs> I think the, the strange thing about it is um, it became one of these things that took on a life of its own again quite often unbundled from my name which is how life works but also it became used to describe lots of things that were happening so i saw lots of people being used using it to describe the sharing economy lots of people using it to describe disruption lots of people to use it to describe the power of digitalization or or globalization um, and it became sort of strange how so many people sort of read it with their own personal opinions sort of thrown in at the diagnosis um, but yeah, I've sat in quite a lot of meetings where people have used it against me when I've claimed that it was oh, mine. They, they kind of were quite incredulous about it. <laughs> I've been at conferences where people have used it before me. And then when I use it later on, you know, they're kind of bored by that point. Uh, so it's been, it's been a very funny and, and interesting and, uh, and useful experience so far. And I guess the book is an extension of that, right? It's, it's unpacking that. Yeah. I mean, I think... Um, Hopefully there are more ideas in the book than just that alone. Like, I think that quote has given me the confidence to think that I might have some interesting opinions. Um, it's allowed me to get my voice heard in different places, it's improved my follower account. And because I now have a sort of, I mean, audience sounds quite pretentious, because there are people that appear to listen to what I've got to say. But most importantly, because there are people that then join in the debates, it's allowed me to sort of create an environment where I can learn from a lot of people. And I think the process of me learning through debates has given me all of the fuel for this book. Um, and it's a book that's quite wide in nature as well. Like I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of business books that effectively take one idea that you could meaningfully explain in 15 minutes and then pad it out to become a whole book. Instead, this became um, a sort of bundling of themes that felt appropriate. One of which is about this idea of the thinness of the internet and how platform businesses can expand very quickly. But more generally looking at the changing business environment, changing consumer behavior. Um, so I'd like to think that the book sort of takes us on a sort of journey through quite a lot of different themes. One of the things that I guess um, I wondered going through it was whether there was a degree of survivor's bias in some of the stories you know like that thing that when you i I was reading you know that you explained that netflix are a great example because they disrupted themselves right you know like and we we sort of reach for these disruptors but disrupting in itself isn't always the secret route to success is it i think there is a huge risk of this um I, I get worried by the number of times especially in america that billionaires get to stand on stage and basically explain everything that happened in their life retrospectively in a way that makes them somehow seem genius and makes other people for not making the same decisions look stupid. And the reality is that, you know, Hipstamatic was a much better app than Instagram. Um, but for some reason, it didn't take off in the same way. Um, you know, VHS and Betamax is another one of these examples. So I think that there is a huge risk of cherry picking the examples to tell the stories that you want to tell. 
Um, and I was very mindful in the book that it wasn't ever trying to be a kind of simple guide where the, the sense was that I had all the answers. It was, I felt more comfortable being someone that was asking questions because everyone's business is in a different situation and everyone has different appetites for risk. Everyone has a different time plan, uh, sort of time scale over which they want to make these, these changes. So I'd like to think that I don't hold these companies as being specific, actionable examples of what to do, but just more um, to give hope for the fact that these kind of dynamics can work in people's favor. I, I really like the expression that I wrote down. You said that, you know, often... You, you told me the phrase picnic. I never knew this sort of... Uh... I probably in chair, not in computer. Right, okay. <laughs> yeah. So picnic is sort yeah. of what IT guys say yeah. when they go back to each other and they yeah. <laughs> they use this. And and often the problem in businesses is, is the, pe- the, the people in the business. Yeah. They're thinking, right? Yeah. I think in companies we get very obsessed with things that are really important to us that are actually completely irrelevant to other people. I think marketing is probably an industry that's particularly guilty of that, where we assume somehow that people walk down the grocery aisle um, and they want to get like behind the scenes content of the latest parcel commercial or that they want to read all about the provenance of the kibble that's in their dog food. You know, the reality is that most people in that moment are just trying to stop their kids from screaming. Um, they're, they're sort of worried that they've not got enough money to pay for everything. And I think a key part of every single business challenge, I think, is being very empathetic about what people are really feeling. Um, and then to try and be more helpful. You know, for so long, advertising has been about interrupting people and yelling at people. How do we apply the same sort of creativity and knowledge of technology and knowledge of consumer behavior to just make it easier for people to buy things and easier for people to get customer service and, and stuff like that? So would you see your book as an instruction manual or as sort of stimulus for people? Are, are people going to pick it up and solve the problems that their business is facing or is it going to provoke discussion it's designed to be stimulus with the role with with the notion that it will aid the diagnosis and with the goal of creating optimism and then to start the process of making good decisions and asking the right questions to get in the right direction but but to be perfectly honest, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of 39, so this idea that I can write a book which prescribes to the entire business world what they should do, um, and it kind of presupposes that somehow I know more than CEOs of auto companies or CFOs of insurance companies. So it's it designed to be sort of energetic and exuberant and creative and provocative and um, interesting um, with the goal that it asks questions that perhaps other people in the industry, myself included, can start to answer together. Because you, you mentioned along the way that, you know, we have all these demands on us, emails and Slack and all, yeah. all these sort of communication channels. So bringing it to evolving the world of work, which you, which you touch on a bit, but how do you think the company, the future is going to be set up and designed to... to advantage itself of these things yeah i mean one thing that you you can't help but notice is how badly generally most companies have used new technology um like we still kind of orchestrate and organize ourselves in ways that feel quite like the actions and structure of 200 years ago um we tend to sort of add new technology as a way to aid quite archaic processes we even label technology with kind of almost skeuomorphic versions of the past, the inboxes and outboxes and in trays and 
the trash can and um, you know most of the sort of language of business hasn't really changed. I think there's a really significant piece of work to be done where we map out what te technology makes possible. So maybe it's instant messaging, whether it's things like Slack, whether it's uh, mobile-centric uh, communication solutions, whether it's always on video portals between different offices. We can almost sort of map out all of the technology that exists today. Uh, map out technology that will exist soon, so whether it's artificial intelligence, um, improved connectivity to cloud-based storage, um, and then probably rethink every single process that exists in a business um, around that. So it, it doesn't mean that everyone fills in an Excel spreadsheet every week, someone collates it, someone then uh, uses a pivot table to make sense of it, and someone renders out a PowerPoint presentation. It means that there's just a dynamic web dashboard where everyone feeds in their information, or maybe it's done automatically and someone just renders it out each week in real time. Um, Maybe this is a bit boring, but um, I, I find um, hotel reception desks really interesting. <laughs> you know, because in bygone eras, hotel reception desks were there to keep the keys and they were there to kind of keep all the invoices. And then as time goes on, you know, that technology became smaller and we had um, contactless hotel keys. So then hotel desks used to just be like a, a big desk with a, a kind of big computer on it. Then the computer became a laptop. And then now quite trendy hotels have, a, have an iPad. But everything about the hotel check-in process is still the same. Like they, they keep the big desk and the computers just got smaller. If you were to rethink what it should feel like to go into a hotel today, it actually wouldn't have a big desk with someone sat behind. You would just sit down, get a you know, glass of wine, hopefully, and someone would come over to you and say, you're all checked in now. Um, and I think that process of rather than kind of adapting incrementally to how things have changed to actually sort of reimagine stuff around the, yeah. the potential of the new, that, that's the sort of process which, while that's a metaphor, it's also a precise example. If we think about that example in other aspects of our business, it becomes fascinating. Because you, you, you do, you talk about um, how supermarkets have done self-checkout and you say, you know, it's, it's the mistake for them to think that's the end point. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that we, they need to be thinking how we evolve beyond that. How will they evolve beyond that? I think, I mean, there's two things. There's one which is within the existing world, how do you do a better job of checkout? And um, what I love about the Amazon Go store, which has just opened in Seattle, is that for decades, we just added in more technology. We presumed that more screens and more special offers and how can we use iBeacons to send people personalized coupons? We presumed that it was all about more technology and more visible technology. Um, and what Amazon Go shows is it's actually about humanity. It's actually about understanding what people want, which is to get in and get out as fast as they can. Um, and the technology completely exists in the background. Like if you go to the Amazon store, um, you see that there aren't actually any screens at all. There are fewer, there's fewer demonstrable technology in an Amazon store um, than any other store. It's just in the background. The other is, thing this, I think, is this what you yeah. mean? Because you say that the world's as complicated now as it will ever be, don't you? Like we're at peak complication. Peak complexity. Right. Yeah. And is that what you mean? Basically, the, the technology is going to recede into the background. Yeah, th that's precisely. So everything that we've done now has been kind of cumulative. You know, when we talk about the fact that media is, is dying, like actually, we've never had more media opportunities in the world. We've never had more advertising. We've never had more different ways to consume stuff. Like nothing has really been eaten. Um, so at this precise moment in time, we have all of the sort of baggage of the analog world with all of the introduction of the digital world. And no one's really sort of made sense of it and reduced it down and made it more simple. 
Um, if I want to watch, you know, Breaking Bad on my TV tonight, my first decision is which remote control do I use? Then I have to try and remember which app it's in. Then I have to try and search, you know, probably using my voice, which doesn't quite work. Um, so there's all this kind of complexity that gets in the way of the stuff that we want. Um, so my kind of hope is that while things are the most complicated now, when companies work around technology and when they kind of recreate customer flows and workflows, the things will just be simple. Right. Maybe it means I walk into an Avis rent-a-car location and they just have a car that I can use without filling in paperwork seven times. Maybe it means I can go to a doctor in the US and I don't have to fill in 25 forms with precisely the same information in each, in each chart. Um, maybe it means that... Um, I know when I get into a car that will already take a credit card or that my bank account will be transferred from the US to the UK as I move location. I'm, I'm kind of hoping to get to a time when technology can make things more simple and at the moment it's mainly seemed to make things more complex. Yeah, that's it. If great innovations are <laughs> solutions to things that people are sitting there banging their like car rental. Yes. Every time you rent a car, you like, yes. has no one ever rented a car from <laughs> these people before? They seem surprised that someone's turned yeah. up. But this kind of, I mean, my, my biggest worry when I wrote the book is that I came across like some spoiled guy that has all these first world problems. And it's important for me to, to say that there are bigger problems in the world to solve, like wealth inequality or, or famine even. But at the same time, if you are in a business and uh, I mean, the hotel business strikes me as being remarkable where when you make the booking, you give your credit card details, you then arrive at a hotel desk and the very first thing they ask you to do is all the admin that they should have done themselves. And then when you check out, you're then sort of asked to do it all again. Yeah, it it feels to me like no person that's ever worked for a hotel chain has ever gone to another hotel in their entire life because you would quite quickly change that. Um, you know, hotels for me are, exa- are interesting because they're very high-touch businesses. So every time you go into the loo in a toilet in a in a hotel and you realise there's a, a phone there, you know, and when you realise that there's not an iPhone charger, and when you realise that the Wi-Fi is slow, you know, it's as if these companies have never done sort of customer research mm. or something. So whether it's the process of buying a car, renting a car, getting in a plane, uh, taking something back to a store. Um, whether it's booking a complicated holiday, whether it's trying to find um, an apartment to rent. I'm I'm generally, um, while I'm a very happy and optimistic person, I'm still quite surprised at how little we seem to have worked around new technology. So you mentioned that, don't you? You mentioned that actually a lot of change is incremental. It's sort of like what you can get. So the hotel having a phone in the bathroom is a perfect (laughs) example, right? Because... It's just all, that's always been the model. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, when they build new rooms, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a phone in the... Muscle memory. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Um, and so that incremental thing often gets swept away by someone who does it differently. Yeah. I think um, one of the things that I said in the book that I feel most vulnerable about being called stupid um, is me challenging the nature of sort of agility and this kind of um, continuous process and improvement and almost like this forever beta approach. You know, there is this sense in business that everything needs to be slowly changing and you Q&A, you A-B test everything and everything's small. I think it's interesting to think about the opposite approach, which is how do you create um, a structure and a system with the very best technology maybe not change it for four years and then rather make all these tiny little changes then create an entirely new system with the very best technology again out of scratch because you know when you go to Heathrow and you see that it's barely functioning but it always just about works when you see uh, the railway network in the UK and it's always been maintained to keep it in the same um, sort of level of, of okayness 
it makes you realize that bold gestures, so whether it's building a brand new high-speed train line, whether it's building the Hyperloop, um, whether it's rather than sort of continually refurbishing your house, it's to just build a new house every 10 years. Um, as, as a sort of metaphor for how to think about business, I do think there's something quite interesting about what would happen if you just have these bold gestures less frequently rather than this always-on approach. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. What advice do you feel reductively, if you were going to do that tweet <laughs> again today, what advice do you feel company should have is it a sense of curiosity is it a sense of a couple of things i mean i think one um i mean you kind of gave me the answer but one be curious you know i think it's everyone's job in business to be learning about technology and learning what technology makes possible um to be curious about how people behave how people make decisions what people are worried about at the moment what problems people have that they can solve i think that's the first stage secondly is probably to to look ahead a bit more into the future like we we tend to sort of spend most of our life in business looking at the business plan for last year and then changing it we look at the marketing plan for last year and then we add in a bit more mobile um we look at case studies of Nike Plus from like 15 years ago as if somehow this is something we should be learning from today. Um, I'd love us to sort of change the focal point from rather than the past into the future. So we should be spending more time thinking about how mobile is going to change people's lives, spend more time thinking about um, the power of 5G and what that will mean for the business environment. So I think, I think between the curiosity and understanding of the future, and then thirdly, just a bit more passion. You know, I think um, if you were to take most CEOs out for a drink and ask them how they feel about the internet, most of them would wish it never happened. Mm. You know, if you were an architect and someone invented computer-aided design, it was the best day in your life to be an architect. If you're um, a painter and someone invented metal paint tubes, it now means you can go outside and paint things. Um, collectively, the entire business world, to me, does not feel like it's full of people that wake up every day and go, I can't believe you can do this now. Mm. Um, 
And, you know, there are some companies that have good reasons for wishing the internet didn't happen, but there are many that if they understand what it can do for them and if they get more optimistic about it, can completely transform their businesses with it. Yeah, I used to, back in the day, a while ago, I used to work at a magazine company. Yeah. And, um, and I used to be astonished that the execs, number one, none of them were on Facebook. Yeah. Number two, none of them used the internet. Yeah. And yet, you know, if it felt like if you're not at least observing and participating in these technologies, then you're sort of missing something that's fundamental and societal. Yeah. It seems strange to me that, you know, they lacked curiosity to such an extent that they they weren't even interested in exploring these things, even if they weren't natively interested in the platform. Yeah. I mean, it's bizarre, isn't it? I mean, Mm. for one person to not do it, it's almost ignorant, but for everyone, it's almost like a campaign of an agreement to, uh, right. to sort of deny its very existence. Yeah. Um, again, I think that's what I mean about companies thinking about this stuff and thinking about the future, because it might not be that the solution is for them to do something about Facebook and to completely re- re-engineer their business around Facebook and pivot to Facebook. But at the very least, they should be looking into it and deciding um, in an enlightened way not to do that. There should be a sort of robust business-making process, a business decision process behind it. Um, you know, there is a, a sense that I have that these companies are not that happy about reality um, and it's far more comfortable for them to all look at each other in agreement that this is not a good idea rather than sort of questioning the very foundations of their business. Um, a key thing for me that hopefully comes out in the book is there are lots of companies that are just really not built in the right place and they're not particularly suitable to adapt to change to the world. Um, and rather than giving up, you know, I would hope that these businesses find ways to completely recreate what their future entity should be. So if you are in the publishing business um, and you have a great brand, then how can you use that brand to make money in different ways? Whether it's exhibitions, whether it's influencer marketing, whether it's um, opening up a new line of paint products. You know, there, there seems to be little imagination about what businesses can become. I guess to finish, let's... Cast our eyes forwards and sort of think of the future. So you've mentioned AI, you've mentioned sort of a lot of these things that are probably looming in the background and, and get, becoming a bigger presence. But what are you excited about right now? I think I'm excited about us getting more mature with technology and for us to start to really, really understand its meaning. Um, so I think when you look at business problems, when you look at people's lives, whether it's healthcare, whether it's personal finance, whether it's education... I think if you if you were to look at everything today right now, you know, this is a really amazing time. Like kids in Africa can now learn anything that's ever happened on the planet just by having access to like a $10 tablet. Um, when you look at the ability of technology to help people sort of diagnose their own health, when you look at the ability of knowledge to help get people to be more mindful and more relaxed and more creative... I think if, if you basically were to look at the environment and the canvas that technology creates, um, we've been obsessed with the challenges it's created and the business dynamic that's disruptive and how fast everything is. But if you take a step back, it's actually just creating pretty much like the most interesting and the most abundant and the most sort of inspirational time to work in any business or just to be alive. It's interesting what you say there, isn't it, about um, the tablet? Because you remember one laptop, one child, yeah. and sort of that, yeah, those yeah, things. Yeah. And it was like this big, august plan that yeah. we're going to put these 200 
dollar laptops yeah, yeah. and all these kids' hands. It was and big. I, yeah. That's right. And, and actually, sort of tablets have no, swept that away, right? I think it's a good example of how we think that solutions are going to be sort of top down and someone creates a mandate for it. And actually, it's more likely to be the, you know, a second-hand marketplace and a decent 3G network. And all of a sudden, an entire generation of people are now able to sort of create their own future. Um, not least, I mean... I'm aware that most of the sort of software development world is based around solving the problems that the founders have. You know, so pretty much every app is a way for a 25-year-old to get laid or to get pizza. Um, there are very, very few apps that are actually built around more meaningful problems. You know, so how do you help people in sub-Saharan Africa, you know, get to the local town when there's no bus? You know, what does Uber for sub-Saharan Africa mm. look like? Um, what kind of mechanisms can you create so that people can feel together around the world to, to sort of share particular health problems? Or, you know, when, when technologies dribble down a bit further and when it's kind of matured and when the dots have all come together, I actually think we could see some apps and some hardware that, you know, makes a huge difference. And we just don't know that yet because it hasn't happened. We're not aware of those problems. Um, but I think that will be a really exciting thing to see. When you travel around the world, you've sort of hinted at like this sort of colourful <laughs> travel plan. Where's yeah. the place that you look at that you think, wow, this is really exciting? I mean, anywhere in China is kind okay. of like that. Um, one of the most amazing things about China is they've never really had this other interim. So when you go there, every single airport is brand new. And they haven't really had this um, interim period of high street retailers. So they've kind of built themselves entirely for the e-commerce world. Okay. Um, they built themselves kind of entirely for a world where you don't have ATMs because cash isn't as big a thing. Um, so I've never been anywhere that just feels so sort of thrustingly in the future right. as China. You know, the buildings kind of dance with LEDs that are on them. The architecture is like nowhere else. Oh, get out. It's Blade Runner, is it? It's, it's, it's of... totally Blade Runner. I mean, it's nuts. You know, the, the freeways are sort of elevated and, and sort of lit up with, with kind of ultraviolet light. Um, like it's more Blade Runner than Blade Runner itself. I mean, it's not perfect in every way, like the pollution's an issue and the degree to which people are kind of transfixed by phones the whole time is quite scary to me. Um, so but more so than in the West? Absolutely, yeah. yeah it's, it's a very odd environment to be on a, an underground train in Shenzhen or Shanghai or something. Um, I mean, almost the opposite, but somewhere like Sweden I find very inspirational. Mm because they seem just a bit more comfortable with technology and a bit more comfortable with its role in people's lives. So there, you know, whether you can find out anyone's salary in all of Sweden just by going to some website, so you can find out where anyone lives. Well, I was hearing uh, that the, the law of unexpected <laughs> consequences, they say that that's a, um, <laughs> it's causing big social issues because it's like a snooper's charter. Yeah. That if you don't like your next door neighbour, finding <laughs> out what they earn. Well, I mean, the interesting thing about the software is it tells people that people looked at your oh, salary. Does it? Yeah, so you basically get a notification saying, you know, okay. Mrs. Smith from downstairs found out your salary. Oh, get out. And then I guess you think, oh, let's see what she earns. <laughs> uh, I think... Um, I mean, more than anything else, I, I like to sort of not come to logical, straightforward, like binary conclusions. I think it's more that it's interesting. You know, what happens when you have a culture which is transparent? Like, what happens when uh, you lose privacy in that way? Um, I'm not saying it's all good, mm. but for a country like Sweden, where they seem more comfortable with it, um, it's certainly very fascinating to see what that means. Mm. And then you start thinking, well, would that work in the UK? 
um, would that work in America? You know, how can we create more of a sense of community to people? Does this mean that people become less ambitious in jobs because they're like, well, people are going to resent me if I earn more? Um, these are all really good questions. That's Tom. His book, Digital Darwinism, Survival of the Fittest in the Age of Business Disruption, is out now. All of our previous episodes are available at the website eatsleepworkrepeat.fm. And if you enjoyed that, there's another episode coming right now, which is an interview with Chris Barris-Brown. So look for that if you subscribe. See you next time. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.